Happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, podcasting the resurrection story from John 20. First, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for a bright and beautiful Sunday. It's a little cold, but it was a beautiful church, beautiful day. Lord, something happened 2,000 years ago that's absolutely powerful, and we need to read it, and we need to uh, adhere to it, and we need to know that it is true. So help us to read your word as uh, we read about the very core, the very linchpin of the Christian faith. Without this event happening, without this event being true, there is no Christian faith. And I know it's true, Lord. And you are waiting to come and rescue your people from this world of sin. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Christ is the first fruits. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I never heard this before in the Sabbath church. But when I got to the Christian church, when I got to the Baptist church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's read from John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So this is the ESV, and I believe the one, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. It sounds like John. So it's like, wow, he thinks he's got some, he thinks he's Jesus' favorite. So there's a little bit of favoritism going on. He thinks he's just like the bee's knees. And it's kind of funny, you know. Um, and, and of course, he, he, he definitely loves the Lord. You know, he definitely has um, a very vital connection with Jesus. And, and I thought that uh, I understood that he was very young here, that he might have been 19 years old. So we have a 19-year-old follower of Jesus. He may have been actually Jesus' first cousin. You know, the, Mary, uh, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, the sons of Thunder. Um, and his mother was also Mary, and Mary was a cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there's a lot of Marys going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Not exactly sure. We may get to heaven and find out we're wrong, but that's what I heard. So he's Jesus' first cousin, right? He's following his first cousin, and he's believing, and he's had these experiences. So now it says here, Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, but both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Why didn't he say, I outran Peter? Why is he trying to paint himself as a third person? It's kind of funny. Right? He says, I outran Peter. And I, he's obviously a younger man. And stooping to and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So stooping, I have seen some pictures where the tomb was at level to people walking around on ground level. And I have seen some, I think I did see one just recently where the tomb is actually go down steps. So it's below ground level. And I'm thinking that he was stooping. Of course, maybe he had to stoop because the entrance to the tomb maybe it was just a, bit, a little bit lower or there's like a big rock embankment. I don't know how big the uh, stone was. Um, the estimation was it was one to two tons. That's what I heard recently. I really don't know how big it was. It was a big slab of rock. And um, I guess that prevented grave robbers from robbing um, graves, especially graves of rich people. You know, maybe robbing them for I don't know what reason. Maybe there's some trinkets in the in the grave or something like that. Like, why would you take a body? So obviously, maybe they, there were things that were left inside graves. Maybe that's what prevents grave robbers. I'm not really sure. 
It says, Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So did Jesus just resurrect out of there? Um, is that the shroud of term that they're talking about? Like I remember looking at a video and the guy was Jewish actually, and he says, you know, I'm, not, I'm Jewish. I'm not particularly biased for Jesus, but I'll be darned if I can figure out how a photograph got on a piece of linen. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Wow, and this is what we read in church, actually. We read this part, uh, verse 11. But Mary stood out weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Women, why are you weeping? She told, she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabone, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So she, he, you know, um, Jesus says, don't cling to me. God says in Deuteronomy, cling to me. And he says, don't cling to me yet. Or I have not yet gone to God. So he is not, he's going to go to the Father first. I guess God has to approve or has to approve the new body. I don't quite know why, right? You know, I, I, I mean, obviously there's two th lines of thought here. The lines of thought is Jesus is preaching in hell or something when he's dead like he's somewhere else, his soul, his mind is somewhere else. And so then he's reunited with his body and then that body has to, to go uh, talk to the father or there's the lines of thought that when you die, you are, you are, uh, your soul is with God, but it's sleeping, it's in a dormant state, it's in a hiatus state. And I've heard many people uh, buck against soul sleep. I think this is called soul sleep. And the reason they buck against soul sleep is, I remember Hank Anagraft, I uh, said, I don't like this doctrine because it, uh, like, there's no continuity. And I didn't, I actually kind of understood what he meant. Like, if you say to somebody, the soul is sleeping, right? That person may interpret what you have said is that, oh, the soul is sleeping, it's not anywhere. I, I don't think that's what soul sleep is supposed to mean. I, I mean, I don't interpret it that way. I interpret that if your soul is sleeping, it's just not conscious. When you die, you go to be with the Lord. The Lord is the Lord, Lord is the one who has your mind. Where's my mother right now? My mother's dead, okay? Her mind is with God. She's gone to be with the Lord. Is she conscious? Is she standing in front of God right now? Is she in God's presence? Yes. Is she aware of God's presence? Is she dormant? Is she like software on a flash drive? When I put software on a flash drive, it doesn't do anything. It's there, but it doesn't do anything. It's in a hibernative dormant state. It's in stasis. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm an IT guy, I'm not super IT, but I'm an IT enough to know that like some of the soul sleep, some of the interpretations I've had of this just sounds like something from the 15th century. 
Okay, I live in the 21st century. I'm a computer programmer. I work in COBOL and mainframe. You can put something into stasis. It's still there, but it's asleep. Okay? You can have a server that's asleep. So the thing is that, um, the reason I say that is because if, if, if Jesus is asleep, if his mind is asleep, he's not actually doing anything. He's dead, okay? The body's in the grave. It's not doing anything. His mind is dormant, right? It's not conscious. When God puts it all back together again, of course he's going to be conscious and he's going to go see God. He is God in flesh. He's God with us, but he has to go see God the Father. So maybe that's what he means. I don't really know what he means. And the bottom line is, I don't really need to know. I don't really need to be right. And I honestly don't really care. I'll find out in heaven. And if I walk up to Jesus, if he should perchance like to have me in the new covenant, I might walk up to the Savior and say, hey, Lord, can you tell me, were you, uh, were you conscious in between your death and resurrection? And Jesus may say, it's none of your business. You're here, aren't you? Be happy about it. Trust me. A lot of people have to try to get things under the hood. I would like to know how it works under the hood, but I don't need to know. What I do need to know is that Jesus is my savior and that he's with me and that I'm saved. And that when I die, the next, the next face I see will be the face of God, our father and God, the son through the power of God, the spirit. That's what I need to know. And I really don't care how it works. I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I think it's so wonderful. And I was just going to read that, but I, I need to read 1 Corinthians 15. I really need to read this. Because the Christian, the resurrection, is the linchpin of the Christian faith. If the resurrection did not happen, if it's just a story, if they parked, if Jesus was actually a person, I believe he was, of course, but he was just a martyr, a good man, and he died and they parked him in a tomb and he never came out. The whole Christian faith is a complete and utter, utter fabrication. It's a lie. It's a feel good story, but it has no real power to save anybody. And I would like to read what, um, what, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, because obviously Paul is very brilliant. He's a Pharisee, a Sadducee, and he's become a Christian, and he's walked away from the law, and he's, he's, he's encountered grace, and he's written about grace. So we need, to, we need to read about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, this is the early creed of the Christian church, very, very early. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now it says the following. The resurrection of the dead, verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's empty. It's hollow. It's a lie. We've been lied to. We've been deceived. And we are lying to other people and we're deceiving them. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
and you are still in your sins. There is no Savior. There is no resurrection. There is no Redeemer. There is no Christian faith. There is no hope. There is no point. Jesus is a faker. He's not the real Messiah. He's a fake Messiah. The Jews are like, oh, somebody else is coming. That person hasn't come yet. They can wait till, you know, they're going to be waiting. There's nobody coming. Nobody coming because Jesus is it. And if somebody does come, it's going to be an Antichrist guy. That's my opinion. And I'm entitled to it. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. It says, then those, verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He says they're dead and they're gone forever. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. But then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus is the first fruits. And I think there was like a, a, a feast in the Old Testament. I forgot what that feast was. Sorry, I still don't remember them by heart. I have a bad memory. Kind of forget these details. But it's like Jesus is the spiritual embodiment. He's the antitype. He's the reality of the first fruits, of the feast of the first fruits. Jesus is the preeminent one. There were people who were raised before Jesus. I don't know if Moses was raised. Elijah never died. Um, Enoch never died. Let's see, anybody else who got raised from the dead? I think there were some people who actually got raised. But Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the one that is the Son of God who's raised. And finally, it just occurred to me, I think I need to read this. I think I need to read this. So it's Romans 1, verses 4. It says, Romans 1, and, and Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The entire Christian faith hangs on the linchpin of a risen Savior, not a dead martyr. I believe he is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter and God bless.